Mental health day means not doing your hair. Because Mental health means like having one day drive through for breakfast. <laughs> Some days it's like that. Some days it's like that. All right, welcome back, Dr. Tia. Hello, Dr. Joy. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. Happy May. Yes. So many different things going on in May. Obviously, you know, we have Ode to Mothers. We want to recognize um, mental health. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's more traction for the Mental Health Awareness Month this year than I've noticed in prior years. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it a lot more in social, um, in ads, on TV. I'm, I'm impressed and I'm glad because that's the point is to have more awareness around how pervasive an issue um, mental health really is. And, you know, of course, today we want to talk to it specifically in our community with our girlfriends, just to be honest and to, you know, one, let people know that they're not alone, two, let you know what to look for. Because I think one of the biggest thing amongst our girlfriends Mm. is not recognizing it. Um, And you can't, you know, treat or deal with something that you can't acknowledge. Exactly. And I think, you know, mental health, I think we always talk about the diagnoses and the disorders, but before we even get to that, I think really like what is having great mental health? What is it to be mentally healthy? It's not just an emotion of happiness or euphoria, but it's really kind of like, to me, I think about it as like a balance. Like I'm neither too much of this or neither too much of that, you know, like I'm, anything throws my way I'll I'll handle it eventually, you know? And I think it's just a piece, you know, that surpasses all understanding, I guess you could say. Um, and it's, a, it's it's goals, you know, it's always a strong goal to like be mentally like healthy. And I, I know for me in as a, as a heterosexual woman trying to, who dates mostly black men, trying to get them to do therapy and like understand that it's just like going to the doctor annually, like you have to check up on your health. And I look at therapy as the same thing, like how do you know you're okay? Like, how do you check in and say like things are okay unless you have someone measuring or giving you some kind of barometer or giving you some kind of goals to go deeper? And I think that's what mental health is for me is making sure that you're balanced, that, you know, you're managing what's on your plate essentially. Because everyone's plate is different and everyone mm-hmm. doesn't need to do superwoman because they don't have maybe a superwoman plate. You might just have like a little meager, you know, bougie Tatiana plate where it's just a little bit of food. <laughs> You know, I love Tatiana, but no, I I think that's true. You know, there can be so many misconceptions, unfortunately, in the media, in our own communities and society and religion about what mental health looks like, or, or I should say what um, mental illness looks like. And unfortunately, sometimes that can detract or it can make it harder to recognize it in just your everyday ordinary person. You know, everyone is going to feel sad sometimes, anxious sometimes, grief. You know, these are normal human emotions and don't always constitute um, actual mental health disorder. But there are times that, you know, you can be living with a mental health disorder and not even recognize it. And so Mm -hmm. that's really what we want to get at today is, you know, just acknowledgement of how common an issue this is. Um, to create space for people who have known to be struggling or who don't quite know and, and maybe will learn something new from today's episode um, and really like how to move forward and how to kind of navigate through uh, mental illness. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's dive into medical ease. Um, we wanted to kind of give you a taste of how it is to be a medical student learning about mental health and mental disease. Uh, so we were going to start with depression and honestly, the way, you know, there are a lot of symptoms of depression, which we'll get into later about how, you know, how there's a variety of ways that depression can show up. Um, but we, you know, as medical students, there's like specific mnemonics that they give us um, to kind of remember because depression is definitely like a complex disorder. So the one that we were, you know, trying to go back in the back of our minds, we were like, what is it? So it's called SIG E CAPS and that's capital S-I-G space E space CAPS, like no cap. And so um, <laughs> for SIG, all right, Dr. T, let's see if you remember SIG at least. Do you remember S-I-G? <laughs> No, let me think. Um, no, I remember I. All right, I so you can give me I. Interest, right? Yes, exactly. Loss of interest in things that are important to you. Exactly. And so as the sleep disorders or sleep problems, like having a hard time either sleeping too much or not sleeping at all because it manifests in different ways. I for interest, as she said, you're not doing the things you're typically interested in. G is like guilt or worthlessness and just kind of feeling like I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm like in a bad place. Then yeah. you have space and then E. So E is energy loss or fatigue. And this one is like pretty key because I feel like this is the one that I kind of picked my main ones that I asked girlfriends just because I know there are some that are just like much more, you know, high yield than others. Um, and I feel like fatigue is definitely one where people feel like no matter how much they sleep, no matter how much they feel, they're supposed to feel rested, they still don't have enough energy um, or they're always just fatigued. So into caps, this is another one. C is like another one that I always ask, concentration difficulty. So this C is for concentration. Like if you lose, like you can't even, like sometimes I ask patients, especially your girlfriends when they're postpartum, like if you get to the point, I tell them, I warn them, like when you go home, if you get to the point where you can't even concentrate on a, like a commercial, like everything's just like a blur, like there might be something wrong because certain things you should be able to like, oh, okay, I can, I can kind of keep up with like, you know, commercials 30 seconds. But if you can't even say, I remember what that commercial was about, like you're kind of like phased out and might need to check in. All right, A, the next A is appetite changes. So you might not be eating, exactly, or you might be eating a lot. So that's yeah, why it's I was changed. I was literally just speaking to a girlfriend about this recently and, you know, with all the weight loss medications on the market, everyone's kind of on an Ozempic watch. And we're Girl. saying, oh, you know, you think she's on Ozempic? And, you know, actually, it was actually mm. from a mood disorder. You know, she's been feeling really depressed and stressed. And the manifestation probably decreased appetite and like a pretty significant weight loss. So um, that's something that I think is very real. Some people eat less, some people eat more. And so a lot of these things can kind of go in either way. And that's what makes depression kind of hard to pick up. It's not just wanting to stay in bed all the time and sleep all day. Some people actually sleep less mm. and that can contribute to other things. So it's important to know. Okay. All right. So then our P is psychomotor retardation or agitation. So it might be like, you're kind of like fidgeting with your clothes or stuff a lot, or you get to the point where your speech is slower and you're just kind of like your movements are slow. You're kind of moving in slow-mo kind of. Um, and then the last one um, is a really um, big one is suicidal ideation. That last S for SIG E caps is suicidal ideation. And, you know, when people, and it's not even just ideation as much as there's also like planning. So 
when you get the, it, there's kind of like a continuum, like you might have the thought, like suicidal thoughts, but then when you start trying to get to points of like different ways and planning, that gets even, that means it's even more of a red flag and that you might want to check in with somebody, anybody um, about how you're feeling and especially those around you who, you know, support and love you. Because I know sometimes we want to keep things from weighing on other people, but that's the whole point of the community is to hold us up. Yeah, I mean, that's some of the most important things that you could know are these very standard, predictable, um, kind of like markers, hallmarks of depression. But, you know, we were talking about this recently, and there was an article that came out late last year that kind of defined that depression doesn't always show up in Black and African-American women in a predictable way. And unfortunately, that leads to kind of underdiagnosis by their physicians and also under recognition within ourselves and within mm -hmm. our community. And, you know, we think about all that we have to do. We think about superwoman tropes. We think about, you know, high functioning persons and, you know, very uh, focused on professionalism, focused on being a good role model, being mm -hmm. a good partner or wife or mother um, and all of these different things that we have to balance and juggle and not realize when the depression creeps in and what it could look like um, because we're so busy, you know, with all of these different roles and hats to wear. And so, yeah, it really just doesn't fit into Siggy caps, you know, all the time. And I think, you know, even still depression is only one out of many, many diagnoses. There's something called the DSM-5, which is this big document of different you know mental health disorders and depression is just one of them i think it's one that we talk about a lot but there's you know a long list of those anxiety ptsd which is post-traumatic disorder which we, we associate with people who going to war but sometimes being a black woman in america is going to war every day so just know that there are different things different diagnoses you may have but also specifically with depression, it might show up differently in Black American women. And we've just been blessed that there's research that's looking into this and finding out what those are. So Dr. T, you want to tell us about this like landmark study for our yeah. City Girl sermon? So some of, you know, some of the different uh, markers we're talking about, you know, sleep, agitation, um, irritability, which is something that um, maybe we don't always recognize in ourselves, maybe other people recognize it about you. Like, hey, what's going on? You're, you're seeming a little bit different. You have a short fuse. Um, and, and that might be something to, instead of being defensive as I think anybody would be, um, to say like, hey, something else is going on. Is there something deeper here? Um, concentration, I think was another one that really stood out to me because it probably would be most pronounced in very like high function individuals, people who have long to-do lists, they are, you know, executives and, and different, you know, leadership positions at work. Um, but then once you start to recognize that it's becoming harder to do some of the tasks that you normally do, you know, school drop off and pick up, you know, managing your teams, you know, some of these things, it might be because there's depression there. There also can be a really high correlation or overlap with burnout on the job. Mm -hmm. And so really kind of teasing those out can be pretty difficult. But again, I think this is the main point is just to not push through if you're noticing some of those things, to be able to make space for yourself to really pause and say like, hey, what's going on with me? Like, I need to mm -hmm. check in with myself and see what's going on. Another one that kind of I thought was interesting was like some of the 
somatic manifestations of depression um, that you may not think about. You know, something like chronic headaches. Headaches can be, you know, signs of so many different things. And I really try to pay attention when I get a headache because it's so rare and they're so bad. There's a lot of barriers basically to being dependent on certain medications. And even right now there's an Adderall shortage because some people have figured out it can make them more effective at work. And those people might have more access to prescribers and providers who will give them that. And so people who, you know, don't necessarily, they have a harder time getting access to those things. And so really it's just, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, things might show different us because we have different reasons that lead us to that same place. Like our diagnoses might be from, you know, inequities at work or, you know, I know when I realized I had depression in residency, it was from not even seeing how something was handled with me, but another co-resident who was, I, in my opinion, was, you know, way off worse than I had ever been and seeing like all this grace given to them. I was like kind of concerned, like, where was that for me? Sometimes, you know, we look at the inequities, really looking at how things aren't really equitable for people like us. And then it does make you irritable. <laughs> you know, it is like, you know, your, your depression talking, you know, like mm -hmm. I remember, I know I seemed really annoyed at that point in residency and thank God for my therapist um, at the time who really kind of like helped me give voice to that irritability, give voice to why I was upset because I think otherwise it does stay with you, stays bottled up. And then you really don't talk about it. And even with your friends, sometimes it seems like, you know, complaining, you know, but mm -hmm. because we all have our trials and tribulations, but I think having therapy for me was a way to kind of get out those things that, you know, looking at this article, I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm the poster child. Like that is definitely me. Cause I definitely don't see, I don't think I seemed depressed at the time because I still was my personality. I'm still myself, but I know that I was a little bit quick, like shorter with people. Like I didn't have as much, you know, oh, a, a leash to like, you know, to like let things go. Absolutely. And I think it's important to know that, you know, sometimes depression can be situational, right? And then sometimes it's more of a chronic issue. And I feel like 
you know, it's a little bah humbug to say like, this might be with you for your mm-hmm. life and it might require management and it might require um, preventative, proactive measures, you know, to avoid it from, from beginning worse. And that's something that's very real too. You know, some people are going to be more just predisposed to um, kind of a chronic depression instead of just a situational, you know, um, residency is hard or, mm-hmm. you know, this life circumstance or, you know, going through a divorce or, you know, having a challenging time at work, that's situational, that's understandable, but some people are going to have more kind of like long lasting chronic issues that they need to be aware of. But you brought up something that was really interesting. So you uh, were in therapy while you were in training, like what prompted you to seek out a therapist? So I know for me, when I'm in high stress uh, situations, it's like, okay, I need this. That was probably the second time in my life I like, you know, like actively sought out therapy. And the first time I will say was when I started medical school, I was having a hard time transitioning. Me too. And I was like, oh no, I was like, this ain't going to work. I need yep. a therapist. Cause I was really unhappy. And it was just things around me that I will not say cause I'm being recorded, <laughs> but I was really like in a very dark place. Cause I was like, no, like, you know, you medical school costs a lot of money. And if you imagine, you know, you pay you're not, you're, you're taking out loans. So what, what the cost is, I'm going to pay way more than that because of these loans and the interest rate. So I was very frustrated. And I remember I, like, I went to the counseling. I remember from orientation, they told us, oh, there's this counseling service. And I went to the counseling service then. With residency, it was a little bit different because I had tried, you know, I had tried out one friend's therapist. We did not gel. You know, I was going through a breakup and saw the therapist and we just didn't joke because he was just telling me like go get online and start dating and it'll be better because that's how he met his wife and I was just like "Ah." and I think this is also before we had the data about like how hard it is to online date for black women and how you know but that's a whole nother thing um and then the last time was I was um going through some difficulties at in residency and my program recommended um uh EAP or employee assistance program to actually um connect with a therapist and so I was like, it was good because it was kind of being like magic for me and I didn't have to do the work. So I was just like, okay, it needs to be a black woman. And they gave me a list of options and I called one and it worked out perfectly for me. Yeah, that's incredible. I think, you know, having that one less barrier in that you understand that this is something that was important for you. You understood where you were in different points of your life stressed, uncomfortable, you know, having a hard time adjusting. And that instinct was like, let me extend, let me extend my, my own life raft for, for help. Because I think that so many people, unfortunately, kind of like live in those um, states where they're, they know that something's wrong, but they don't Mm -hmm. really know what the next step is. And that can be really hard. Unfortunately, you spend a lot of time and it can also get worse while you're, you know, trying to figure it out, while you're trying to pray it away, while you're trying to, you know, deal with it and manage it yourself, you know, sometimes you need professional help in order to um, just get everything set and, and get back on track to whatever works best for you. Um, and so I, I think my first encounter with therapy was also in medical school. <laughs> Day one, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know, we both had experiences where we had time off in between college and medical school, um, getting back into the swing of things, the intensity of things, uh, just realizing that this was a different league 
and was going to require different skills and equally just did not want to mess it up. And Mm. so I was very, I mean, I was probably in school starts in like August. I was probably in therapy by like October. Like I definitely remember before the end of the first semester, I was like, "Mm, we we need a little help here. (laughs) So, and that was something that continued, but you know, interestingly enough, you know, it's very hard to kind of maintain a, um, a regular therapy schedule when you're in, in training like that, the way medical school is. And I actually remember feeling very frustrated, um, you know, for the first probably year or more with the therapist because I felt like we weren't really connecting. And mm-hmm. I felt like um, I was having a hard time getting to some of the different issues that I wanted to. Obviously, it was very kind of academic focused. And so we worked on that and, you know, testing and all of those kind of concerns and anxiety. But there were other things that I wanted to talk about. So I remember talking to actually one of my preceptors on psych rotation being like, so how do you know if you have a good situation with your therapist? And I think one of the things that he told me was so valuable was like, have you brought this up with your therapist? And I was like, no. And they were like, you should talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. talk about what your goals are, talk about what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And I think, you know, giving yourself permission to kind of like switch that power dynamic instead of just you come and you accept what is into what does this need to be for you? What do you feel you need to get out of it? Um, was big, was life-changing, is something that I've definitely kind of carried forward in other therapy Mm. relationships. Yeah, I guess like for me, I don't know, I guess for me, it's just a feeling. I think it's just also my my intuition sometimes. I think what I was blessed with with my last therapist, and which is why our relationship went, went so long, was that, you know, I really just went off of, you know, okay, I, you know, I don't know, I just took a couple of the names and Googled them and she just seemed like, okay, I like the location and I liked her hours. I think that was the best thing because as a resident, mm-hmm. I think the hours even worse than medical school because I think mm-hmm. in medical school, I definitely went during the day time because you know you weren't in labs and stuff like that all day. But with residency, that was tough. And I mean, God bless Dr. Brown because she, her hours were until like eight o'clock. Like she would see me at seven because I would get out of sign out. Sign out was at 6 p.m. And I would have to book I went- it one one rotation <laughs> to grief counseling and I had to get there at 7 30 so I could be to clinic by eight and so literally I mean when we're talking about no time for yourself and training there's like there's literally no time if you work a seven to seven you know six to seven days a week um there's very few services that are available and so finding that flexibility is key no it was so key because I think sometimes too like Sometimes mentally also, I just wasn't ready to go in there. So I would get off of work and then I, sometimes I would just be late because I wanted to go to Lush across the street. <laughs> I'd be in Lush, like, let me get a bath bomb and then I can go talk to my therapist because it's just been a day and I'm just not ready to go straight from one job to the next because I'm sitting here trying to work on myself so that yeah. I can get through all this. Yeah. And like, God bless her because I would be late and she would wait and she would not be like, oh, no, you know, like, it just, you know, I just got a lot of grace. I feel like a lot of the grace I did not get at work and I didn't get as a medical student. A lot of the grace that I've never got in my life, I got from my therapist, thank God. Because um, she knew I was genuine and I was serious about it. But sometimes I just needed, you know, an interlude, shall we say, um, between work and like literally like taking the first train and then running up the street. And, you know, it was just a lot. 
a ripping and running to make that happen. And I think that's the hard part with, you know, depression and different mental health disorders, because that's a part of it. Like if you're fatigued, how are you going to run for the train and then make the train and then walk up the street? If you cannot concentrate, how can you look at the schedule? Like there's just so many different moving parts that it takes to get care. And I think that's kind of like, again, where I think I love virtual care because I think virtual care kind of mitigates some of that barrier, but then also just making sure you find the right virtual care. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like, I will say like, that's the hard part for me is I think it's kind of like that stuck in the mud feeling that, you know, that quicksand that, you know, depression kind of does where you kind of feel like, Oh, everything's in slow-mo just trying to like climb I call out it, of it underwater because you know mm-hmm. how when you're underwater you can hear but things are muffled that's kind of how it feels like for me like if I'm going through the day and I feel like I'm underwater something's wrong because we, we've got to take a step back and examine you know food examine diet examine exercise mm-hmm. like stress level look mm-hmm. at your calendar see what is absolutely necessary and what is not you know, and that those are things that you learn along the way. But if you don't recognize that in yourself, you'll just keep kind of going along stuck in the mud or underwater um, without, you know, getting the proper help that you need. It's important, you know, for girlfriends too, is acknowledgement that we are not immune from suicide. You know, all of this is really, you know, talking about in a very proactive way. And and we've been in situations where we've actively sought out therapists and now we have lots of coping skills to help us to know how to prevent it from getting very far, but not everyone, you know, has access or um, just, you know, is going to have that kind of experience. And unfortunately, yes, Black people and Black women do commit suicide. And it's something that, you know, we don't talk about a lot in our communities. And I think that's something that hopefully will start to change soon, um, you know, with suicide rates, unfortunately, increasing uh, amongst young people, amongst Black men and women um, during the course of the pandemic. It remains to be seen if some of that is just from all of the isolation, you know, caused by the pandemic, uh, or if there are other, you know, major factors at play. We talk about social media um, Mm -hmm. and lots of different kind of impact there. But, you know, just as a way to recognize that, you know, people always say, call on your, or check on the strong friend. Um, Sometimes you don't even know who is the one who needs to be checked on um, because, it's, it just doesn't always look like what you think it should. Exactly. I think, you know, that kind of, you know, helps segue to our Around the Way Girls segment. We really wanted to highlight Chesley Crisp, Esquire. She's all the things that people think are not depression, are not um, suicide. You know, she was beautiful. She had an excellent career. She was Miss USA 2019. She was a lawyer. Beauty, brains, all the things that we associate with like, oh, you're going to be fine. You're fine. Nothing's wrong. And I think sometimes much to our chagrin, we actually make it worse. We make it more inflammatory to people like that when we act like, oh, well, you should, what do you have to complain about? You're gorgeous. You have, you know, like you, you know, literally five days before she passed, like she had interviewed Denzel Washington, like, which is, oh my gosh, any black girl is like, oh my gosh. But where she is in her body, where she is in her system, where she is in her mind, it's totally different in terms of how she interprets the world and interprets, you know, these positive moments does she see them as positive or she sees them as negative and it's that's what mental health does is that it jades your it's like a filter it completely filters your experience of life and you know I think you know the thing that always worries me 
both of us who obviously have 50 million degrees between us, I think it's that high functioning, you know, personality trait. And I think I've seen it so many times from high school on up between my girlfriends who are intelligent people who use that to game the system in terms of like, make you think that they're okay. Cause you can keep up, you, if just like if you can be high functioning to do well on a test, you can be high functioning to make people think that there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and those are the people that I really, you know, it always concerns me. I'm very high alert for my friends because I know that high functioning quality to me makes them even more, uh, scary. It's more, even more of a red flag because I know that if they really want to succeed with something, they can do it without me ever knowing because they know how to make deflect like, Oh, everything's okay. And it's hard because you really have to treat, speak truth to power with your friends about like, Hey, are you okay? I've noticed you've done X, Y, and Z. I understand your history. And you know, having close friends who, you know, suffer from bipolar and different things like that, where, you know, you really, it's hard. These are hard conversations. I'm not going to act like it's easy. You know, the checking on your strong friend, girl, that's like, you know, I feel like to me, A, it has to be a very regular habit. It's not just, oh, just check. Cause I feel like we put these hashtags. It's just like, you know, thoughts and prayers when there's a school shooting, like that's not what it's going to be. You need to be, Yes, active recovery, you know, like, and I think like, it's just kind of making sure your friends know, like, hey, talk to me. Hey, I'm here. Hey, no judgment. Um, Making sure you kind of build that, engineer that into the friendship so that they know. But also I think, you know, as a, I'm not going to lie, I think as a clinician, as a physician, I have honestly seen that some things, you know, death brings healing to some people. And I know no one wants to talk about suicide like that, but for some people, that's how they look at it. It's their release, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we want them here, but, you know, sometimes the disease is just that ugly, just like with cancer. Death is to me is healing for some cancer cases that, you know, you'll never get better. You'll never get out of this cycle. And so, you know, it's hard to, to think about it that way. But I think sometimes, in, you know, us who remain say like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. But really, it's just like, how do we show it better for ourselves? How do we show it better for our friends who are still here? And just know that, you know, there's no way that it looks like it's a, it's a you know, every medical condition is pretty diverse for the most part, unless it's like a specific, you know, genetic linked thing where it only happens to this population. But I just would say it's not just checking on your strong friend. It's checking in with yourself as well, but also making sure that you weave into the fabric of your friendships ways to check in safely so that people don't feel judged, but also so that people feel supported more than anything else. Yeah, I think that's super, super important. Well, I mean, there's so much here. And of course, we could talk about this topic forever. Um, but you know, the most important thing to us is that one, you recognize the symptoms in yourself and people around you don't ignore these symptoms. You know, if something feels off in your body, in your mind, really pay attention to that and take the time and invest, um, as much as you can in yourself to figure out what's going on. You know, you mentioned a really good way of finding your therapist. Cause I think that's, you know, can be a big barrier for a lot of people is um, how do I even find a therapist? Where do I go when I'm ready? Once I recognize and I know this is something important to me, how do I find the person I need? Yeah, employee assistance program or EAP, many jobs have, you just need to ask your HR department to see if that's a part of, and a lot of jobs do because they want their staff to be well. It's just that it's not well advertised and people don't know. So 
thank God for my therapist because she's always trying, she was always trying to teach me how to game a system. So basically you get like, you know, depends on your package, but some jobs it's like eight to 10, you know, sessions, but it's actually per topic. So let's say you're going through divorce. You need eight sessions to talk about your divorce. Okay, that's over. And, you know, now it's no longer covered. You can say, okay, I need eight visits to discuss something else. It's really, you know, situational. So you really can get, you can really leverage that as a way to get the therapy you need if it needs to be ongoing. Um, especially if you have different things that might pop up, like you have stresses from like, oh, me and my mom are having a difficult relationship or et cetera, et cetera, or grief as well. So it's definitely something to check in with HR and to see what those benefits are, but also HR can help you. They have services that help link you with, you know, what, like I, like I told them what I wanted. They told me, you know, okay, you have these options. Um, what are some other ways to find a therapist, Dr. Tia? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about going through your health insurance first, you know, if you have health insurance um, and making sure that there's uh, like a mental health kind of uh, plan with that is you can actually go through the insurance company to find who may be a network, um, see what kind of options there are. You know, luckily, since the pandemic, so many therapists um, are able to see you remotely. And I feel mm -hmm. like that really expands the options. Many of them can even see you from another state. And so while that may not be universal, that, you know, for people who really um, want to work on very specific issues, want a certain type of therapist, whether a person of color, um, someone who's part of LGBTQ community, like mm -hmm. those now they may have more options available um, because of those remote options. You know, I, we talk a lot about Therapy for Black Girls, one of our favorite kind of podcasts, but also it's a resource um, for licensed clinical therapists across the country. Um, and we'll give you a breakdown about, you know, availability and payment and what kind of what area they may specialize in. So that's an incredible resource to have as well. Um, also, I remember psychology today. They also yes, psychology thing. today, and they break it down by race as well. Therapists that I, I refer to locally all have pages on psychiatry today, and very detailed about you know again what they focus on, any kind of areas of interest, um, and so that can be super super helpful in case you want someone who's just more general or you are working on like family issues or, you know, just something maybe more specific. So that could be helpful too. Well, since, you know, I, we wanted to talk about this too, it's mental health awareness month, of course, but um, I'm also on my own journey to find a new therapist. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, my therapist, uh, Dr. Pamela Brown, she actually passed away some months ago and it took some months to find out just because I don't know, I was Googling hard looking for her trying to figure out what happened. And um, I just found out probably in the last month and it's really been difficult because she actually has been with me since residency. Um, thanks to virtual care, even since moving to California, we've been together since I was, you know, in my third year of residency and she's definitely been a cornerstone for how I live my life. There are some lessons that I still go with today, which is never use a partner or someone you love for something you can pay for. I just really want to dedicate this episode to Dr. Pamela Brown. She's made such an impact on my life as a little Black girl from Philly, having a therapist who was from my same neighborhood, Mount Airy, who went to the same high school as me, Philadelphia High School for Girls, and then went on to the Ivy League. It was unimaginable to meet someone like her and automatically, when she told me the first visit that that's who she was, I was like, oh, well, we're going to get along fine. Like, this is great, you know? And we bonded on everything from 
Michelle Obama's becoming to uh, <laughs> different, you know, like lifetime things that happened to me. Even when I moved into my new apartment, she sent me like a housewarming card. Like I would have never become a single mom by choice without having her words in my ear and telling me that I could do it and actually strategizing on how to do it. That's the beauty of a therapist that it's not just dealing with what's here and now, but what your future looks like and yeah. how to ensure your future. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure we dedicated this to her because if anything, she was seriously, seriously committed to uh, women of color being well, and especially those in Philadelphia. So this is dedicated to her. Yes. Well, thanks, girlfriends. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in. You know, I know this was a heavy week and heavy topic, but again, our goal is just to make sure that you are aware that you feel supported and that if anything that we said today resonates with you, that you know how to take the next step, you know, potentially finding a therapist and moving on so that you can be the best version of yourself possible. All right. Have a good day, ladies. Bye. Hi, I'm Dr. Joy Cooper. I am a board certified obstetrician gynecologist based in the Bay Area of California. I am currently not seeing patients in person anymore. I'm completely 100% telehealth. You can find me at Culture Care. Our website is OURculturecare.com because we do it for the culture, our culture. We are a telemedicine startup that is connecting Black women with Black physicians at the cost of a copay. So if you would love to see me and you're based in California, and New York shortly, you can just go on our website and see me. I am Dr. Tia Jackson Bay. I'm a board certified obstetrician, gynecologist, and infertility specialist. The long name for that is reproductive endocrinology and infertility is my field. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York, and you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Tia Jackson Bay. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe and check out our website, ndgfexp.com. Have a great one, girlfriends.